Another day of Suns training camp is in the books, and on today's episode of Locked On Suns, we'll talk about how two of the Suns' biggest question marks heading into the preseason actually put them in line with the rest of the NBA. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Thursday. Suns training camp, day two in the books. Preseason is, what, three, four days away as you're listening to this. The Diamondbacks are in the playoffs. If you're a local fan, I hope you're uh, pumped. I'm wearing my 20, 2001 shirt, but if you're finding us for the first time, hit follow, hit subscribe. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. So just hit that button, become an everyday or get locked onto the Phoenix Suns right along with me every single day from here through the end of the season. I'm excited. I hope that you are as well. We have some new comments from media day or from training camp to get to, but uh, we're going to start out a little bit bigger picture. And then I'm going to talk to you about the point guard question and the defense and size question that the Suns are facing. And I call them questions instead of problems on purpose, uh, mostly because I'm going to tell you why I'm not fully sure that they're problems. And I do think that they're more questions, uh, things that need to be fleshed out, but things that have answers. So rather than continuing to be vague about that, let's just uh, start on the bigger picture topic and I will get specific on those Suns points in segments two and three. Let's start. We're going to talk about two points, two uh, laws of the modern NBA from two of the smartest people talking about the modern NBA. One is Draymond Green. One is Jeff Van Gundy. Let's start with Jeff Van Gundy and the comment, the quote, I'm not going to be quoting him verbatim, but his point last season on Zach Lowe's podcast on ESPN when the two of them were discussing the offensive records being broken. Not only this has been a while now, the team level, the Sacramento Kings last season had the top offense in the NBA, which was not only that, but the top offense in the history of the NBA. That is an annual tradition. Now, there are obviously rule changes that have to do with that. There are obviously evolutions of scheming, more three-point shots, quicker pace. But even on top of all of that, you had last year a lot of individual players scoring heaps and heaps of points, right? Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Giannis Antetokounmpo, other guys getting 50, 60, 70. And Van Gundy's comment was about that. And what he pointed out is, of course, there's an incredible amount of talent in the NBA these days, right? I mean, just you look at it's hard to find a team that doesn't have a young star player you feel pretty good about, if not multiple. And that was not always the case. But be uh, even more so than just having young stars you feel good about. So many individual players on every team can now take the ball and initiate offense and create good, relatively good offense, and, and definitely in the historical context, considering, as I said, how, how much offense has blown up in the NBA, a very good shot for himself or his teammate. 
because of the space, pace, and just individual skill and the rule changes that have made it harder for defenders to stop those players, that somebody like, let's say, I don't even know. Um, who's a, a mediocre example of this? Like a Zach Levine, right? Or let's say DeJounte Murray, right? These guys who are very, very good players, but are honestly secondary in, in the league these days on their teams and just overall in the kind of pecking order of everything. Very good players, but they can generate a pretty darn good shot. And so where I come to the Suns here, to zoom back in for a moment before we get to Draymond, is to say that that trend has been taking over the league and is something that can be tapped into and can be a strength, right? I think it will continue to be important for all of us who watch and care about this team to remember that. It is not necessarily a weakness that the Suns do not have an orchestrator in the traditional sense of the word. It is, in fact, leaning into what a lot of the league is in 2023, which is grab a rebound and go get yours and score quickly. If the role players are shooting, ideally that's a three or a transition bucket and let your stars run basic sets and and utilize their skill sets in the half court. And that should be enough. That's actually not an aberration in the league. That is a trend in the league. You know, the Warriors don't have a traditional point guard. The Celtics don't have a traditional point guard. The Nuggets don't have a traditional point guard. The Lakers, right? Like, I can keep listing you teams, or or you could accept the point, and I think you have. And hopefully, we get out of that mindset. However, I will add more later on because, you know, Beal and others were asked about it. Draymond Green, to set the stage for segment three here, the the other thing we're going to talk about today, the quote of his is one that's very well known around the league. You've probably heard it. There are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. And when Draymond said that, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes about individual talent within a roster, right? Skill sets, abilities, versatility, somebody like, who's a good example of this? Maybe Timofey Mozgov on the Cavs, if you're looking at opponents uh, that the, the Warriors took on over the years. Maybe, well, it seems to me like the league is sort of figured this problem out and it's less of a question mark these days but even Robert Williams I think is a good example last year right the Celtics just didn't feel like his defense was at a level where it was able to overcome his offense and so he goes from somebody who's a big difference maker one postseason has some injury problems takes a step back never has quite found his footing as an offensive talent and so when his defense does suffer a bit takes a little bit of a step back Suddenly, he's no longer a 16-game player, and Joe Missoula benches him. Now he's on another team, right? It's a little bit of a, of a reduction, but you get where I'm coming from. The reason that applies to the Suns 
is that their quest from now through April, through the end of March, into April, and into the playoffs, is to find out how many 16-game players are on this roster and what is their 16-game approach going to be? What is this team's playoff approach actually going to be? And that leads me to the last big picture point that I want to make before we dive into the latest quotes and comments from Vogel, Beal, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, Josh Okogi, etc. as media availabilities continue this week. The NBA is unrecognizable. Like, I think the series to me that most exemplified this was Warriors-Lakers last year. Those were two defensively oriented teams that played small, okay? And so, and relied on specific players in large part for the majority of their offense. Teams that had a big, uh, a, a, a team structure largely centered on the defensive side of the floor with one or two guys responsible for the offense. And so what you saw is the chess pieces of, okay, Jared Vanderbilt is guarding Steph Curry. Anthony Davis is playing off of Andrew Wiggins, playing off of Draymond Green, soaking into the paint, or, or, you know, playing off of him, lingering in the paint. Where is, is Gary Payton playable? Is Jared Vanderbilt playable? Is Rui Hachimura making his three? Suddenly, Jermichael Green is here. What's he doing out there? Is D'Angelo Russell even going to be able to, to play minutes in this thing? And on and on. The exaggerated way that Davis is playing off guys and Vanderbilt's chasing everybody around. The pace is astronomical. It didn't even feel straight up like basketball. It felt like soccer or hockey or something else. Just this rapid pace where everything is so exaggerated in one direction or the other, taking away the paint, taking away this player, this lineup, okay, now it's not playable. Like, you have to be so flexible and versatile that I think there are a lot worse ways you could approach this thing than to say, we're going to have the three guys we know will be out there no matter what. Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, they're going to be in the playoff rotation come hell or high water. We're going to give ourselves the best chance for the other 12 dudes on the roster that we can find five more that are also going to be 16-game players. That Draymond quote was just the beginning. The league continues to change, and the Suns, again, are following trends, not being an exception to them. With that said, let's talk about what the players and coach actually have to say about this, rather than just my two cents and Draymond and Jeff Van Gundy's two cents. Next, first, today's show brought to you by Bird Dogs, my favorite new shorts, and I'm uh, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not joking when I say that. I love, love bird dogs. They're stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh. They do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. They're not made of that stiff, restricting cotton, and they have the anti-stink, sweat-wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Look, we're not quite out of the woods in terms of the heat yet in the valley, and honestly, the reality here is we wear shorts all year long, right? So bird dogs are functional for any occasion. I'd say perfect for most occasions, whether that's golf or pool or lounging, which is, I think, what I use them for, but even an evening out, work, Obviously, a workout, a date even. They have much more nice stuff as well, in addition to the comfy, everyday stuff. Go to birddogs.com slash NBA or enter the promo code NBA at checkout 
for a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You will not want to take your Bird Dogs off. That is their promise. All right, keeping it rolling. We talked about Jeff Van Gundy and his comments about uh, the amount of creation that there is on offense in the NBA these days. So let's start on that end. Let's talk about the point guard question, the ball handler question. Where I want to start, actually, before we dive into some comments and a good article by John Voida over at Bright Side of the Sun, is to just hype up Jordan Goodwin a little bit, because I think he's kind of gotten forgotten already, even though when they got him in the Beal trade, it was hyped up and they've chosen to keep him. It sounds like from Jake Fisher's reporting at Yahoo that he's not expected to be one of the players who gets cut at the end of camp. We'll see, but you know, we kind of know where that's headed. Keon Johnson, Ish Wainwright, probably the guys that are going to be let go. Maybe Damian Lee. You hate to see it with the meniscus. We'll see what happens. He could be one. Doesn't sound like Jordan Goodwin's going to be one of those guys. And he has already turned heads. Josh Okogie was talking him up today. A lot of the players have reminded us of him uh, and gone out of their way to do so. So he is more of a traditional ball handler, somebody who's had the ball in his hands dating back to his time in college and obviously with the Wizards to close the season last year. So I just want to remind everybody that he is there. But I see people online talking about Malcolm Brogdon, Drew Holiday. I don't think the Suns were ever going to get Drew Holiday. There's no way to do that. Brogdon, I think they maybe. Salary-wise, probably not. It doesn't even really matter. I think he could fit. The point is, they don't need a ball handler. Okay, because again, it is a trend in the NBA to build out a supporting cast around your star creators of complementary offensive pieces. People like Eric Gordon. People like... Grayson Allen, Yusuf Nurkic, players with talent, balance, and effectiveness on the offensive end, but you don't see teams in a hurry to bring in point guards. So, we heard from Yusuf Nurkic on Media Day that uh, he called himself the point guard, and he said him and Book had already been joking about that, right? Uh, You heard about it after practice on uh, Wednesday when... Nurkic spoke with the media and he talked about it just sounds like he's really embracing the unselfishness of what his role is going to be. I think that the message publicly and I'm sure privately about Nurkic arriving with this group is not much different than him being the point guard. You know, again, no one, no one needs to be the point guard. So I'm not, you know, changing my tune there, but he is going to be facilitating just as much as he's doing anything else. He's going to create separation by setting good screens. And whether that's in a dribble handoff or a pick and roll where he's able to make a play on the short roll or a pick and pop or whatever the case is, something where they do run a pick and roll and there's a switch and suddenly he's you know in the post against a smaller player and they send help and he kicks it. These are going to be the ways in which Yusuf Nurkic is utilized. And on top of that, Beal spoke about the same thing, as did Booker. So... Beal said, it's not just going to be one guy. We're all going to be leading by committee. Whoever is outletting the ball, whoever is closer and gets the rebound, we're all, we're all free to push to get our offense initiated. And that is you probably music to Jeff Van Gundy's ears, right? Like, take advantage of that. And one of the interesting things that 
uh, Nate Duncan of the Dunk Dawn podcast brought up previewing the Suns with Michael Schwartz of ESPN, who was on this podcast about a month, month, month or two ago. They discussed the transition offense, right? Knowing that Frank Vogel likes to emphasize that stuff, they were worried about whether they actually could do it for two reasons, one of which still exists, one of which does not. First, DeAndre Ayton was always a theoretically good outlet passer, but actually never did that at a very high level. He just never made those quick decisions and really looked down the court, you know, put his Kevin Love or Wes Unseld hat on and, and, and made an impact in that way. I don't know enough about Yusuf Nurkic to know if that's an overwhelming, like, reputational strength of his, like it's this thing he's great at. But what I do know is he's embracing passing, and he's big, and he's taller than everybody, and he's strong. So I would imagine if you said Nurkic, hurl the ball down the court, he's going to be able to execute that ask, right? And so that's one. The other part that's not quite fulfilled is it is nice to know who is getting the ball to initiate that, right? Like when Steven Adams grabs a rebound, he knows, get the ball to Ja Morant, Ja's going to be a blur down the court in an instant after that. That's not quite going to be the case for the Suns. So as much as Jeff Van Gundy is right that so many players can do that, if it is the center getting the rebound, who am I outletting to? How are we getting down the court? Those are habits that will need to be built. And maybe there will start to be in those moments a default answer. I think it'll probably be Devin Booker. But look, if Booker or Durant or Beal get the ball and get the rebound, they're gone. I would say probably the same for Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon and maybe even a guy like Jordan Goodwin as well. Booker was asked about this, said, understanding the artillery that we have, all these guys make the game easier for me, and I understand that. We all have to be aggressive at the same time. Finding that balance is something I'm sure we'll pick up on once we get into training camp. Same thing, right? And Beal said on on Tuesday at the practice that I was at that they actually were realizing kind of the first time playing real five-on-five competitively in practice that actually they were being too passive, right? And so... I think that if the goal is to be aggressive, the goal is to take advantage of the individual one-on-one talent that this roster has on it, then as I've said many times, and it leads exactly directly into what we're going to talk about to close the show, what star players allow you to do is to have less rules, to have less constraints on who is playing, how they are playing, and what needs to happen for a possession to be effective on the offensive end. It's not to say you want to put your stars in a bad spot, plant them in the ISO position at the elbow, and say, get us a bucket like your Carmelo Anthony circa 2012. That's not efficient offense in 2023, but I trust that it's not 2012 anymore. We know how this can work, and all these players are smart enough to figure it out. But you don't have to have somebody pinpointing threading a needle of a pass at the right precise moment in this exact instant of a drawn-up set in order to get a good possession. You can sprint down the court, toss it to the corner, and get a Grayson Allen three. You can, you know, walk it up, run a pick-and-roll with Booker and Durant, get a favorable matchup, get to the basket for a, a free throw. You know, like, these are going to be the ways that it works, and everybody is telling us that that is going to be their approach. And so again, we just have to evolve our thinking out of the Chris Paul, Monty Williams era, out of the Steve Nash era that I'm sure some of us still relate to, and just understand that the strengths of this roster and the trends of the modern NBA suggest that this is the right way to do things. 
The other right way to do things is to be versatile lineup-wise. And this was really the thrust of the show that I wanted to do today in the first place. Just getting excited about lineups. Uh, we did this with Brandon on Monday a little bit. Uh, but let's keep it rolling because we're hearing guys start to talk. And I'm excited that there's such an embracing of the competitiveness and and adaptability that's going to be necessary from the role players specifically. But in particular, let's talk about some comments from Frank Vogel that highlighted a, a frankness, uh, pun intended, about the state of the roster and the state of the defensive talent and why that's actually a good thing. Next, first today's show brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about FanDuel, joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There is a wide range of bets to make, spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I'm looking at the Cardinals odds right now, and I am seeing that the Cardinals are three-point dogs at home. That feels a little bit interesting. Three's not a lot, but they've been competitive. The Bengals have been aimless. I will be at the game, so maybe I, I provide some good juju for you. Regardless, $200 in bonus bets back when you place your first bet. Guaranteed, minimum $5. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. All right, let's close it out. Um, so, great way to start a segment. Um, so, you're welcome. Lineups. A few things caught my attention from a player standpoint, right? So Grayson Allen at Media Day was asked about his impressions of the roster, and he literally arrived in town like a couple days before Media Day, right? Over the weekend, this past weekend. And he's, he immediately went to the lineup flexibility, right? He said, I think we not only have ways to play small, which um, is sort of what we think of with the Suns, this, this roster, but also big, you know? And he is the perfect person to speak to that, right? Because what team did he just play for? The Milwaukee Bucks. And they were one of those teams that could do both to you. They could have Giannis at center. They could have Brooke Lopez at center with Giannis at the four. They had Bobby Portis to mix in. They could go with a smaller guard grouping with, let's say, you know, Drew Holiday and Javon Carter. Or they could go jumbo with Drew, Grayson Allen, Chris Middleton, and then Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez, and all the way down from there, right? Theoretically, back to the Memphis days, Grayson Allen has actually experienced this when you think of the Jaron Jackson versus Steven Adams at center. Although back when Grayson was there, Jaron wasn't playing much center, but you get my point. Kata Bates Diop referenced this as well and has been, uh, or in that interview at least, was very vocal about the way that he was already changing his approach and day-to-day uh, -day mentality for the types of things that he was going to need to be doing this year. You know, for the Spurs, he, I think we, we need to take a wait-and-see approach with Keita Bates-Diop, just as far as what type of player he's going to be. The Spurs, he looked to get his own basket quite a bit, and he was a guy who um, was a team defender more so than a non-ball defender and on all these different things that we're going to have to see how he changes. But it speaks to everybody involved here knows they're going to be, a lot is going to be asked of them. And it's not that their role necessarily will change, 
But I think that this team is going to look very different night to night. There are going to be basic tenets that they, that they operate with, right? And I'll get to those in a second from Frank Vogel. But he was already open with us on Tuesday afternoon after the first practice of the season that they're going to take a very aggressive approach to adjustments over the course of the season. And the way that he described it is so that we're not trying to do anything in the playoffs that we haven't done before. And uh, if you've been an everyday or listening to me on this show, you know that that is music to my ears because that is the number one thing that I said after game six against Denver about why Monty Williams likely needed to go. And it is the number one thing that I have emphasized that makes me optimistic about Frank Vogel. And so to not only hear him set that baseline expectation from the jump on Tuesday, but to also hear the players already embracing that is the right, that is, that is what you want to hear, right? Lastly, though, as I mentioned, the honesty that Frank Vogel had about the defense and the personnel is also very refreshing. I won't go on too much of a tangent, and I, I don't think it's fair to always refer back to the old way that things were here for the Monty Chris era. But look, it hasn't been that much time, and so I think my mind is still in that space, and maybe yours is too. It was It is refreshing to hear a level of honesty and openness and frankness, again, I'm just going to keep beating the pun into the ground there, about the roster and just the state of things. I mean, just, just being genuine, open, real, all that stuff is nice to hear from the head coach because Monty was a lot of things, but he was very veiled, he was very stubborn, and he was very defensive, I would say, uh, about questioning uh, from media, questioning, it seems like, at times from players. And so to get to the point of what Frank Vogel actually said here, he said that there is a clear, he said that today, on Wednesday, we're not going to be the strongest team, but there is a quickness and length advantage that we will have and we will take advantage of. And just because we are not the strongest team does not mean we cannot be the equally physical to every opponent we face, right? Love to hear that. Secondarily, on Monday at Media Day, Vogel also said something pretty honest that I was talking about with uh, Damon Allred, who's been on this show. We were both at Media Day talking during lunch. And I said, you know, is... He, I told him I thought that was noteworthy, that the defensive potential is not... Uh, that Vogel said the defensive potential is not what you would expect. Uh, not not what you would expect. Rewind. That Vogel said the defensive potential is clear, but that they are working from a little bit of a talent disadvantage on that end of the floor, that they do not have clear difference makers on the defensive end with reputations and pedigrees and overwhelming track records of being stoppers and, and lockdown defensive players. There we go. I spat it out. You're welcome. And I was talking to Damon about how I thought that was interesting to hear, and Damon was like, well, it's obvious, right? I mean, that's not a surprise. Okay, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise as a fact, as a statement. It's a, it's a surprise to hear it from the head coach. And so 
obviously, I think media members can overplay what gets said publicly as if that's the only message being sent at all. But it does matter what's said publicly. And you would hope, unless the head coach is just like a sociopath who says, you know, speaks out of the side of his mouth, which I don't think Frank Vogel is, that what he's telling us is genuinely how he feels and is at least a version of the message that he's sending the team. But again, because we're hearing it from the players, I think it is the message. And that message is, we're going to need to work on defense. You are going to have to compete on defense in order, and Beal said this Tuesday, we have to do it. We all have to do it. And I think you can embrace that challenge and embrace the fact that you don't have a defensively oriented roster without it being a knock. You can turn that into motivation and, and, and effort and drive, you know, because they're not so bad on defense that it's, it's a lost cause, right? This is still a team that odds makers and analysts and fans all agree has a legitimate shot to win a championship. Of course, I think so too. The difference between what will make this team good at defense and bad at, and and not good enough at defense is that they experiment, get creative with both big and small lineups, KD at center, Norkic at center, Eubanks at center, Bull Bull at center, Chemezi Metsu at center, all these different things, heavy wings, heavy guards, heavy bigs, all these different types of things, and that they all embrace the challenge of competing on that end of the floor and knowing that they're at a little bit of a disadvantage on that side of the ball and making that something that they pride themselves on. And I personally love that that is a open, honest, genuine source of con- uh, of of comment and and perspective from everybody involved as early as day 1 of training camp. Because that's going to go a long way to embracing what we're talking about. That'll wrap us up for the day. More to come with Aaron Edwards tomorrow to close out the week. Thank you all for listening. Hit follow, hit subscribe. We're free and available everywhere. So if you've not done so already, if you're finding us for the first time and you just love that show so much that you can't possibly wait for another one, hit the button. There'll be another one in your feed before long. Enjoy your Thursday and all the media day, uh, media availability, training camp commentary that comes with it. And I will catch you all on Friday.